John's Gospel, chapter 14. Uh, this and subsequent chapters uh, are very full of uh, teaching about the Holy Spirit and uh, can be connected to uh, our teaching of uh, the Trinity that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Now, obviously, it's a massive subject. Uh, there's lots in the Bible about the work of the Holy Spirit and the connection between Him and uh, the other two persons in the Godhead. And obviously, we can't cover uh, all of that. And having read extensively this week about uh, this work, uh, it was just becoming kind of brain-exploding. So I decided to keep it uh, to this passage almost exclusively. We'll, we'll branch out into one or two other passages. But we really need to stick to a passage uh, that teaches about the Spirit and uh, the work of the Spirit and His relationship with the Trinity uh, and then apply that to our lives, I hope, this evening and to our understanding of God. And uh, in so doing, can I uh, introduce it with a reminder uh, for us all that the Holy Spirit is uh, a divine person, the third person of the Trinity. And maybe sometimes, and it comes across occasionally uh, in prayer, when we pray and we ask for the Holy Spirit, or we speak about the Holy Spirit, and call him it. As if he's not a person, we think he's an it rather than a he. And sometimes it betrays a sense in which we feel the Spirit is a kind of, uh, um, some kind of floating ghost that is around us as Christians. Because, of course, I suppose the old-fashioned word for uh, Spirit is ghost, uh, not in our understanding of the, the meaning of the word ghost today, but nonetheless, uh, uh, Holy Ghost being a translation of Holy Spirit. But he is very much a person. He's not just a force. He's not just a power. He's not just a, a, a kind of a, a part of, of God, as it were, uh, or the mind of God. He is a distinct person. The Bible teaches clearly he's a distinct person within the Trinity. He speaks, he intercedes, he testifies, he leads, he appoints. He can be insulted, he can be grieved, he can be uh, uh, offended, uh, and... Uh, uh, he can be rejected. He is eternal. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. He's the same in substance with the Father and the Son, equal in power and glory, our catechism tells us. So we need to remind ourselves that when we speak about the Holy Spirit, we're not speaking about a phantom, but we are speaking about a divine person with all the mystery, of course, that uh, we recognize within that that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And we also recognize that the Spirit has a, a different work uh, and a different emphasis in His work to uh, uh, the Father and the Son. In verse 16 of chapter 14, uh, we're told that... Um, uh, sorry, verse 16 of chapter 14, if I can find it. Uh, if you love me, you... Uh, will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you, or he will send you, another counselor to be with you forever. And then if you pass over to verse 7 of chapter 16, uh, we're told there in the next page that, uh, but I tell you the truth, it is good, this is Jesus speaking, that I am going away. Unless I go, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we have the Holy Spirit, 
being sent or being given by the Father and by the Son. So in the kind of what's sometimes called the economy of the Trinity, we have uh, uh, each of the, the persons of God, the Godhead with different tasks and different responsibilities. The Father is the one who has planned salvation and sent his Son. The Son is the one who has obeyed the Father and has accomplished the salvation. It wasn't the Holy Spirit who died on the cross, nor was it God the Father who died on the cross. It was God the Son who was there. And uh, the Son obeyed and accomplished the salvation. But the Holy Spirit, as we're reminded here, is the one who's been sent by God the Father and God the Son to apply salvation to us, to empower us to live as Christians and to bring to completion our salvation until the end of time. So in a sense, if we can speak reverently uh, and if we can uh, kind of dip into the mystery of all this, uh, the Holy Spirit is the closest one to us in a sense because his work is one who's been sent by the Father and by the Son to um, outwork salvation in our hearts and in our lives. And he is uh, living with us and in us as Christians all our lives, never to leave us again. So he is sent by God. He is the spirit of uh, the, the, the word and the person of Christ. He is sent to us, sent to the church, sent to Christians. He is, cooperates with us. He's alongside us. He's God with us. In some ways, he's the outworking of the Emmanuel principle, God with us, in a very uh, real way in our salvation. So uh, we remind ourselves of the fact that he's a person and also that he's been sent and he has a, a role, a specific role in redemption within uh, the Godhead as each of the other persons has too. Can I just say a few things about the Holy Spirit from this passage and our understanding of him and of his role, his work as God in our lives? Can we be reminded that he's the indwelling spirit? He lives in us as Christians. Verse 17, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And uh, also in verse 20, we have these words, uh, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. He's the indwelling spirit. He lives in Christians. So we come tonight to worship God we're Christians. The Holy Spirit is here with us. He lives in us. The moment you believed, you were breathed into by God's Spirit, and uh, He lives in your life. We recognize that. Let's go back. Uh, we'll do a little bit of flicking through the Bible. Not very much, but a little bit, just to uh, remind us of certain things. In John chapter 3, very famous words, when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You must not be surprised uh, at my saying you must be born again. And he goes on to speak about everyone being born of the Spirit. So we are born in rebirth. When we come to Christ, when we become Christians, we are, you know, the, the famous old kind of... Uh, uh, American evangelical statement, you must be born again. You know, you, we're born again Christians. It's become very unfashionable to speak in these terms, but it's biblical terminology that we are born, maybe not again, or anew or afresh, or born from above. 
born with God's Spirit, reborn. God breathes life into us. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit in their lives, in their hearts. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We've been adopted into God's family. And uh, the Holy Spirit is God's gift to us. God in us. Indescribably great. Why is that so great tonight? If you're a Christian, you might not feel indwelt by the Spirit. You might not look any different because you're indwelt by God's Spirit. It might still be a struggle for you in your Christian life. Why is it so great to be indwelt by the Spirit? Because that same Spirit resurrected Christ from the dead. It's the Spirit of life. It means that death can never hold us because we have the author of life living in us so that when we die, we don't stay dead, but we go to live with God in glory because we have his life in us. It's a massive change this evening. Total change. You know, and we can parallel it with the, the daftness, can't we, of thinking that somehow we can be Christians in our own strength. That when we die, that somehow we can, we can resurrect ourselves and go to heaven. That we need God. We need His Spirit. We need the supernatural gift. We need His work in our hearts. It's a great thing. It's not just a few nice things that we can do now and again that makes us Christians. Not throwing a few pounds in the plate. Not coming to church and being moral and upright every so often. It just doesn't cut it. We need the life of God in us because without that we're spiritually dead. And that is the gift. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So it comes from rebirth. He indwells us. And in so indwelling us, it, it means certain things, doesn't it? It means, well, one very important thing, it means peace. Verse 27, Jesus speaks about that. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You trouble tonight, are you afraid? Then, uh, then recognize the peace you can enjoy with the Spirit in your life. Because that's what he's come to do. It's a transcendent peace. You know, we've heard of people who have become Christians and they say, I can't explain what happened. I can't scientifically uh, give you a formula about what happened. I can't give you an A, B, and C, but I do know that at one time I was not at peace and now I am at peace with God. And it is uh, in, sometimes inexplicable reality in our lives. I can't express the peace that I enjoy to you as a Christian, but I have it. Nobody's going to take it away from me. Supposing you all left this church tonight and went, he's a rubbish preacher, never coming back to this church. It wouldn't take away my peace with God. I wouldn't be very happy. Uh, but, you know, nothing that you can do can take away this peace that I know and I experience in Christ. It's the peace of being forgiven. It's the peace of belonging. It's the peace of being loved by God himself and indwelt by his spirit. A genuine spiritual experience that I can take with me anywhere in this wide world. It's the peace of the spirit of God working in us. But not only is there that peace as Christians in our hearts, and it, it really is. Um, 
incomparable peace. Can I say that this evening? You know, sometimes we think it's rubbish being Christians. It's not that great. You know, it's not that important. It's not that significant. But it really is incomparable to have that peace. Nothing comes near that peace. And we must recognize that and see that that is what the Spirit of God offers and gives us in our lives, His peace. But also because of His indwelling, we recognize that uh, we are to bear His fruit. And Galatians, I want you to look this up if you have a Bible with you. Galatians chapter 5. Um, it's on page 1172. So I say, it says in verse 16, Live by the Spirit, this indwelling Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. It goes on to speak about the acts of the sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft that we spoke about this morning and saw about, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, all these things. Then, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit indwelling us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, we have the fruit of the Spirit. It just happens in us. It should happen in us because like begets like. We are adopted. We are indwelt by God's Spirit. So we begin to look like and live like God. I've, I've used this illustration before here about ch child likeness to their parents. We can't help as children but be like our parents. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. But as Christians, it is impossible if we are indwelt by God's Spirit not to begin to look like Him. Like begets like. Otherwise, if there is no evidence in your life and mine of the fruit of the Spirit as delineated and defined here, we have no confidence that we are anything other than jokers in the kingdom. That's right. That we are jokers in the kingdom. We can't in any way claim to be Jesus Christ's and Christians, if we do not, to some degree or other, bear his fruit. We become like God because we are indwelt by his spirit. And we are to use our gifts. I just don't have time to speak about gifts and the gifts of the spirit really this evening. But we use our life and we use the gifts that he gives us to serve him and we bear his fruit. Now that is a challenging I imagine sometimes it's a sobering, but it's also an encouraging thing. When we see this fruit in our lives, then we are encouraged to know that this is what comes from His Spirit dwelling in us. So the indwelling of the Spirit is something that brings us peace, um, and uh, we are to bear His fruit. And also it speaks of power. There's great power to overcome sin and uh, uh, death indeed, and the grave. That's what the Spirit of God indwells us to give us. Power over our circumstances, you know, so that it's not necessarily that our Christian peace and comfort comes when everything's going well, but power to overcome, even in dark and difficult circumstances. 
you struggling this evening to obey the Lord God. He promises his power to enable us to obey and to love and to serve. We're not on our own. We, he is indwell us. It's great, isn't it, really? That as salvation says, you're redeemed, you're bought back, you're brought to life, and I'm not going to walk away now and leave you until you die, until heaven, and just work out on your own. He says, I'm giving you my spirit to indwell you with my power. Pneumatic drills are powerful. Same kind of root word. Dynamite, same root word. Powerful. Now we've got a eight-year-old seven-seater car Zafira, heavy engine, diesel engine. And occasionally, sometimes, for one reason or another, the power steering cuts out. Usually just when you start the car, so it's not, thankfully, when you're driving around. And it's unbelievable how difficult it is to turn the wheel, the steering wheel of that car, without the power steering. Everyone that drove cars in the 50s and 60s, big muscles, strong. How they could turn cars around corners, I don't know. But now, you know, when the minute the power steering clicks in, light is a feather. And you can move and turn the car and drive it exactly how you'd want to do so uh, in the proper way. And it, it's that power that the Holy Spirit gives us to steer our lives and to guide us and to direct us and to help us and to be alongside us. So hard being a Christian, you know. But Sometimes we're trying to steer our Christian lives in our own strength. And we're struggling and it's heavy. He says, look, lean on me. Rely on my power, my spiritual power. So he's our indwelling spirit. Lives in us as Christians. Wonderful, glorious truth that the Trinity is not a distant theological concept nor far away from us and disinterested, but has broken into our lives, obviously in redemption, uh, personally in salvation lives in us and lives with us which is why we can be called the body of Christ the people of Christ indwelt by Christ and his spirit so he's indwelling spirit he's also we're reminded here our counselor ask uh, in verse 16 I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever now that word counselors uh, you might have heard the word paraclete which is the word that is used here, it's translated here, counselor. And it's been variously translated uh, over the centuries. And sometimes maybe we've misunderstood a little bit about what it means. It's not certainly not our idea of a modern-day counselor, someone, you know, that we go and speak to and that gives us advice. Not really, anyway. It's sometimes translated comforter. Mm, it's not, I, not absolutely clear that that's the, the meaning here either. Although he does great work of comfort uh, in our lives. Probably the best word is the word that Paraclete comes from, is the, the one who is our advocate. There's a kind of legal, there's a legal emphasis here uh, to the work of the Spirit. One who comes alongside us and uh, is, testifies on our behalf and is our defense counselor, as it were bearing witness to the truth to us and bearing witness to our salvation before God. He's a strong counselor, advocate beside us, 
so that kind of in our, as it were, in our legal standing even with God, He's defending us uh, through the work of Jesus Christ. We're told here, I will give you another counselor. And that's important because Jesus is reminding His disciples and us that He Himself is the original counselor. I have been your counselor. I've been your advocate. But I'm going back to heaven after my death and resurrection. But I'm going to, that's good because I'm then going to send you another advocate, another counselor. And so there's a tremendous link here built between Christ and the Spirit and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit. Uh, a tremendously close link, which is important. Because in any courtroom, if someone's going to testify on your behalf about somebody else, it's important they know that person. And uh, it's important if Christ is, uh, the Spirit is going to be alongside us, teaching us and telling us about Christ, that He's been the one who's, who knows Christ and who has been with Christ. And in verse, um, chapter 15 and verse 27, he uh, speaks about that, the Counselor again. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. And he then goes on to say, this, you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, the Spirit was with Jesus from the beginning. So he has every right to be the one who can testify to us about Jesus Christ. He was with Jesus at his conception as he grew up. He was with Jesus in a very special way from his baptism, as we saw a couple of weeks or last week. And we see that he's really involved in Jesus' work of salvation in a great way. In a, can I go back to that steering illustration again? There's a real sense in which the Spirit steers Jesus throughout his ministry to do exactly what uh, God wants him to do. We're told immediately after his baptism that uh, uh, Jesus goes into the wilderness, that he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Better translated, he is driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the divine strategist here and he's driving Jesus to this place where he's going to meet with Satan. Uh, he is going uh, to bring Jesus to this appointment with Satan. And he's saying, Jesus, you have got to go there and you've got to defeat Satan by the Word of God and be uh, obedient where Adam failed. See, there had been a previous appointment with Satan where Adam, our first parent, failed. As a result, we've all gone down with him. But Jesus is driven, is steered to these engagements as uh, the divine strategist working with Christ uh, in our salvation. He's with him in his ministry. He's with him in his death. He's with him in his resurrection. He's with him in his ascension. Who better to be with us and in us who can testify about Jesus than the Spirit himself? So, as a Christian, you have the Spirit of God in you. The Holy Spirit of God. And He testifies to you about Jesus. And that's good, isn't it? Because He was there. He was involved. Intimately involved as a divine strategist. He is our advocate telling us about Jesus. And He's the one who is uh, with us as, our, as it were, our divine friend at court as well, you know, uh, defending us against the accusations of Satan. So you can't be a Christian. No way. Your kind of life, no chance. 
points Satan to the work of Jesus Christ and uh, points us to the truth of Christ and advocates to us and testifies to us about the truth of Jesus Christ. And that brings me on to uh, the third point about the Holy Spirit. Not only does he indwell us and is he our counselor, but as uh, Jesus says here in verse 17, he is uh, the spirit of truth. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And then in in the same discourse with the disciples in chapter 16 and verse 13, he says, but when he the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, steer you into all truth. So we have the work of the spirit who teaches us the truth. I really can't emphasize enough to you as Christians, to you as young Christians, to you as older Christians, the importance of the truth. The importance of Jesus as the truth, the embodiment, the enfleshment the revelation of truth and that the work of the Spirit is to teach us about Jesus and his truth. He points to Jesus. He reminds us of Jesus. He molds us in the image of Jesus. He uh, uh, directs and steers our ethics and our morals and he makes Christ real. Are you struggling with Jesus? you struggling to understand how much Jesus loves you? You're struggling with the, the whole concept of Christ and his word? Then please ask the Spirit of God who is in you to make Jesus more clear. That's his work. His work is to teach us and lead us into all truth. So the more we are asking for the Spirit in our lives, the more charismatic we are as Christians in terms of being spirit-filled and spirit-led, the more we will be word-centered because the Spirit of God teaches us the truth about Jesus and leads us to the truth. The more spiritual we are as a congregation, the more truth will be the atmosphere that we breathe as a congregation. The more forgiveness that we will share with one another as a congregation the more service we will offer to one another as a congregation, the more feet we will clean uh, together as a congregation, the greater servants we will be to one another through Christ as a congregation, the more spirit-filled we are because the more truth we will be outliving and outworking. And since these, our aim and our desire is to be a, a congregation who... Uh, worship this Trinitarian God of truth, united through the Spirit of God, focused on the truth, where the truth matters, the truth of Jesus, the truth of his word, the truth of his character, the truth of his ethic. In our lives, truth really matters. It's the Spirit of truth teaching us about Jesus. And he's the Spirit also uh, convicting the world. don't really have time to look at this, but in chapter 16 again, In verse 8, he speaks about this counselor who will come. He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment and so on. So the Spirit in our lives and in the life of the church 
has this great work of evangelism. Somehow, sometimes, we've uh, disassociated the two. We think, well, this is a kind of church that's uh, a, a truth emphasis church. We emphasize the word and the preaching of the word and obedience and holiness. And then we've got another church somewhere. We emphasize evangelism and reaching out to the lost. We're not so concerned about doctrine and about truth, but hey, we live the Christian life. No such dichotomy in the Word. No such dichotomy in uh, the teaching of Christ. Because if we are indwelt by the Spirit, then we will be used by the Spirit to evangelize the gospel and convict the world. So the more spirits you are, the more truth-based we are, the more evangelistic we will be. That's great. We're not going to be navel-gazing spiritually and theologically because that's wrong. That's sinful. We have this look of Christ as uh, we are filled with the Spirit that makes us uh, soak in the truth so that we then go and live that truth and convict the world around us. You know, evangelism isn't about kind of dial an Easter egg and meet with Jesus. <clears throat> Christian marketing kind of idea. You know, the kind of daft ideas that we come out with somehow to uh, get around and, and get into people's lives. Evangelism about being spirit-filled, truth-obedient people who have a longing for Christ and his kingdom through living and uh, longing for the truth. That will give us an evangelistic heart, my friends. That is what will give us an evangelistic heart. And the last thing I'd like to say, the fourth thing I'd like to say about the Holy Spirit is that uh, he is the Holy Spirit. He's given this designated title. He is the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 uh, tells us uh, that he is the one who is the the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. We, don't, we aren't given the designation of the Holy Father or the Holy Son at that level. Not because they're not holy, of course. But it helps to emphasize the work of the Spirit in our lives is that He is bringing us both to truth and obedience because He is holy. That is, He is pure. He is perfect. He is God. And so his work is to sanctify us. He does that in rebirth when we're born again. We're sanctified. And he progressively does that work in us until the day we die, becoming holy. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're to be like Jesus Christ. Think over Galatians again the passage that we read. And think over as well, Ephesians. You know these great, important passages, Galatians 5 and uh, Ephesians as well, uh, which speak so clearly and uh, so powerfully about being holy and not being impure, but being like Christ, not grieving the Spirit. He's grieved when we are unclean. It's a really strong message that the Holy Spirit in us works obedience. And you know, for us, that's a battle. When the Holy Spirit is in our lives, when we are born anew, now don't believe anyone that says, become a Christian. Yes, you might have peace that transcends all peace. 
but it doesn't mean you have an easy life. Because from the moment God comes into our lives with our remaining sinful natures, there's a battle goes on between truth and lies, between light and darkness, between purity and filth. But remember, Romans 8 says that we can be more than conquerors. Yes, we're battling, and yes, we are fighting, but we can be more than conquerors. It's a battle because we go out as Christians, as we were reminded this morning, indwelt by the truth in a kingdom of lies. And this Holy Spirit is the Spirit who cleanses us. Have you ever cleaned anything? I'm sure we have. We all clean things, don't we? It means change, doesn't it? Cleansing means change. And the longer the dirt has been sticking to us, the harder it becomes to remove. So if we let dirt stick to us, if we let ourselves wallow in the mud, spiritually speaking, then it's hard to take that off. Cleaning means change. The Spirit of God in our lives. If you are a Christian, it will mean change in your heart. It means change in my heart. It means we can't do just what our sinful nature wants us to do. It means we can't embrace the sins of the flesh that Christ himself died on the cross to cleanse us from. It's a battle. But he is the Holy Spirit. Don't treat him lightly. Don't think it doesn't matter how we live. Don't think he doesn't care. Don't think he's just a kind of divine Father Christmas. I don't know how we would describe him that doesn't care about our lives. He can be grieved and quenched and resisted. Who are we to resist God? (laughs) Isn't that outrageous that we would think that's okay to do? So in conclusion, can I just say these things? I'm not going to expand on them at all. In conclusion, can we praise God this evening? We're going to sing a couple of psalms in conclusion. Let's praise God through the Psalms and just generally in our lives, for the work of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Spirit in our lives as Christians. And if you're not a Christian, you really need God's Spirit in your heart. It's the only way that you can live. It's the only way that you can believe. And it's supernatural. And it's miraculous. And it's from God. And it's a gift. And you can't work it out. And you can't change your own heart. You need His Spirit. And as Christians, let's praise God for him, especially this evening, for the fact that he's not abandoned us. He's not left us as orphans, as he says himself in this chapter. He's adopted us, and not only that, but given us his gene pool. He's given us his genetic code, indwelling us the power and the spirit and the life of God. So praise God. Can I also encourage you in the words of Ephesians uh, uh, 6, Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. But be filled with the Spirit. So that's the teaching. And that's the exact parallel that we're given there in Ephesians. Don't get drunk on wine or beer on spirits, which leads to debauchery. But in that glorious kind of picture, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God. So... Remember that great parallel that we're given there in Ephesians. Wonderful, isn't it? Between flesh and spirit. 
between living just in a kind of miserable gutter and living for Christ. Don't get drunk in wine, or don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Or, uh, as it goes on to say, keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, or, yeah, sorry, no, uh, be filled with the Spirit, or as it can be translated, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Not just once off. Keep on going back to the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. And then in Galatians 6, which reminds us to keep in step with the Spirit. Work to do that. Keep in step with the Spirit of God. You ever done a three-legged race? Very hard to do if you don't keep in step with your partner. You end up falling in your face. We have to keep in step with the Spirit by being obedient to Him, by cooperating with Him, by depending on Him, by recognizing Him, by imbibing the truth that he wants to share with us and by worshipping and serving the Jesus that he came alongside us to testify to us about. Praise God this evening for the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the Trinity who in the infinite wisdom of God has given us this person of the Trinity to uh, indwell us and not leave us as orphans. We're not orphans this evening. And for that, uh, spiritually, we truly praise God.